Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, by means of your word, you show us our sin. By means of your word, you reveal to us our Savior from sin. You reveal the forgiver of our sins, Jesus Christ, and our sure and certain hope of eternal life. Grant us open ears to always hear your word and lips to confess your name above all others, even as you, your Son, is the way, the truth, and the life. Bless our discussion this day and continue to be with us as your beloved and blessed people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we, we move into the portion of the divine service called the sermon. All right, so this is still kind of in the uh, in the area of service of the word. If you remember, there's two components of the divine service. One is the divine service of the word. We're still in that. And the sermon, of course, is to, in summary fashion, at least right now, by way of explanation, to address the sermon text, preaching law and gospel, and in doing that, also preparing us for the reception of the Lord's Supper, too. So we're uh, going to be looking at a number of different texts today from, from Scripture, and then, uh, then generally speaking, what the sermon is about, as, as just kind of mentioned, look at some other passages, and then uh, after the break, then uh, at least ideally, then talk about the Augsburg Confession and what our confessions have to say about uh, the sermon preaching and faith uh, as it is on God's word. So you'll see 1 Corinthians 1, where all right, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews as stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this is what Paul was about. This is what the church has been about. Um, we'll hear this, uh, especially on Christmas Eve. Um, next week, as well as, I believe, this coming Sunday, too, just the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the New, specifically as it is Christmas with reference to the birth of Christ. But you can multiply that, of course, with all the prophecies made of the Messiah, made of the servant of Yahweh, made of the promise from, from God to uh, the woman, about the seed who would come, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And Jesus often speaks of this, how it is necessary that the, the Son of Man suffer and die, and then three days later rise from the dead. So that's all there, too, in the, uh, in the Old Testament. So we'll have an opportunity to hear more about that. But the centrality of, of the whole scriptures, of course, is Christ. Um, so if you hear any any different than that, then maybe, and I would say not just maybe, but they are misinformed greatly about what the Bible is about. Oftentimes people will say that the Bible is about do's and don'ts. You know, or have you heard this phrase before? Uh, the, the Bible is, I forget what the, what the exact phrase is, but God's manual for eternal life. 
In other words, basic instructions yeah. before leaving Earth. Okay. Yeah, basic instruction though, but in what way? I mean, how is that often explained? And if you call it, you know, some some will refer to the Bible as a manual, which I suppose it could be, but oftentimes, I don't know, what do you think of when when the word manual is heard? Instructions of do's and don'ts. Yeah. And that's not really what the Bible is about. The Bible is about God sending his son Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Uh, that's a that's a key point because if it's about uh, a manual for doing or not doing, yeah, it's all law. It's based on you. And you know, if if if, if one is honest, even if they consider themselves really really good, if they are honest before God, they still fall short. As Paul says in Romans, right? All have fallen short of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's, there's no way out. It's not about us doing uh, to gain eternity. It's about God Himself doing to give us that which we don't deserve. It's called grace. Uh, today, um, if you can see it here, great. If you can't, uh, you, you have your hand out in front of you. And basically, what, 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 I, what this is trying to show. Uh, is that uh, I, I guess maybe I'll just put it this way the different ways the different words that are used in the English for actually that word preaching you know so we hear preaching the gospel preaching the good news uh, announcing God's favor in Christ announcing the resurrection proclaiming and the like and these these uh, verses from the New King James Version, basically I just typed in the word preach or derived forms like preach, preaches, preaching, preached, and the like. And here's what I came up with. And uh, when we when we look at uh, the Greek, for example, and we won't we won't look at it, but we'll talk about it. Not the same word. The same word is not necessarily used in all these occasions. All right. So uh, I think we spoke about that a little bit on trying to think was it Sunday or Wednesday when we spoke a little bit oh I, I guess it was Sunday when we were talking about the Creed you know that uh, that part in Apostle in the Apostles Creed where we confess that he descended into hell right right mm -hmm. uh, you know and then he proclaimed you know uh, to the captives right uh, that's a specific word that is used there but we'll see that in other places, uh, some different words are used. So uh, we'll, we'll just uh, confine ourselves to the New Testament, uh, because actually it does show up in the Old Testament, uh, these, these various words uh, that are used. Um, even the word uh, evangelize or preach the good news is found in the Old Testament too. Uh, so, you know, there, there are specific uses for that as well. But I, I, we'll, we'll be looking at a, a few passages here and there uh, with reference to the specific words. Matthew 3 is the first place I'd like to look, and this all has to do, of course, with preaching, uh, specifically in the New Testament, but preaching what? And, in, in, you know, so that's one of the things that we'll find as we look at these various passages that there may be a different kind of preaching going on, too, that accompanies that specific word that is being used for that kind of preaching. 
Which makes sense? Um, we, we do this in English too, although, um, you know, you, you know what a word, you know what a synonym is, right? Uh, a, a synonym, you know, can mean the same thing, but also, you know, often there's a kind of a nuance, you know, to that. In, in, uh, in, in the Bible, we have that too. Uh, you, you might be aware that uh, there are three kinds of love, uh, two specifically, uh, that are uh, that are frequently referred to in the in both testaments, specifically in the New Testament with the Greek. One is agape kind of love, and one is philos kind of love, right? Uh, and uh, I, I heard this uh, a few years ago, but we have one word for snow. In, in the United States, as far as I know, is that correct? Do you know any other word for snow? Uh, yeah. Now, but we have different. We can say there's different forms of water, right? Okay. There's a solid state we call ice. There's a gaseous state, uh, and then there's uh, there's the physical state, I guess, uh, not frozen. The liquid, they call that the liquid. Yeah, the liquid, thank you. Uh, it's been a while since I've had the... <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I, I've heard like in, in Alaska, where the, among the Inuits, you know, they have, they have many different words for snow. Um, because, you know, how about, how about, I guess we could, we could think of this, uh, I know there's there's less in this area than maybe in others, but grass. I'm not talking about marijuana, okay? <laughs> but there's different kinds of grass, right? Yeah. Uh, Kentucky, I think, is one, right? Kentucky blue grass. Kentucky blue grass. Kentucky yeah, blue grass. Lots of different kinds. Um, fescue, crab fescue, yeah. So you have to use, you know, when when you're referring to grass, you know, if you want to get really technical, you have to have, okay, what kind of grass do you do mean for that, right? Um, so, and, and in similar ways, too, um, the English sometimes can be less precise than other languages, you know. So when, when we translate, you know, from, from another language, whatever language that might be to English, something sometimes is missing, you know, um, because the word that we use might not be exactly the same word that they use, all right? So let's uh, let's uh, begin by looking at Matthew chapter three. If you have that, um, could someone read verses one and two of chapter three? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Okay, and I included both verses there. That word preaching, uh, you know, in in uh, in the Greek is a specific word, but it generally means Proclaiming, you know, and and, and and I think it's the same. It's the same word that is actually used in uh, in that account in Peter that we looked at, you know, that Jesus descended into, you know, and preached among the spirits in prison, and was proclaiming. That's what he's doing here. But I included verse two because what was he preaching? What was he proclaiming? Repent. Yeah, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So this is a specific form of preaching. Right, preaching repentance uh, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Okay. Now let's let's jump to uh, and and this is uh, noted who's speaking here. Of course, John the Baptist. You know, in other places, uh, in another in uh, another gospel, I think it's in Mark's gospel. We have uh, you know uh, basically in, in one verse, John John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Okay, so a specific content um, in that proclamation. Jesus, or uh, before I get there, John the Baptist uh, preaches repentance. But you also notice in Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus himself preaches similarly. Can someone read verse 17 of chapter 4? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah. Now, we might be tempted to say, hey, Jesus is taking his cue from John the Baptist. I would say, no, John the Baptist is taking his cue from the Lord. Right? Uh, remember, John the Baptist was the one preparing the way of the Lord. It wouldn't be surprising to have or to hear that the message of John was also the message of Jesus. Whom John pointed to, okay. But here the the uh, the, the verb uh, for uh, preach is the same. Proclaim, proclaim what? Repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. Um, certainly we could look at others with reference to this, but I, I did want to draw your attention also to uh, to the noun form of this verb uh, preach. Let's look at uh, since we're in Matthew. Let's look at Matthew 12, verse 41. Okay, and, and uh, of course these are on there. So these are the number of verses, of course, uh, that are in there. It's used quite a bit. And one of the things that I would like to say too is, you know, one thing, uh, and, and maybe I mentioned this, but it is kind of neat, even just with a with a concordance. Now a concordance basically will be a a, a book generally. Or it could be a computer program. I, I happen to have one, which is really kind of nice. You could you could uh, use online type stuff too. You type in a word, and then it'll give you all the places where that word is found, uh, which is really kind of helpful for study because you could see just from looking at this um, where does it look like you know from this chart here that a lot of preaching is going on. Yeah, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, right? I mean, you almost have a whole row. Uh, but also in Corinthians, in Romans, yeah. Um, and then, of course, Matthew and Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, what about John? That's kind of interesting. Um, there's no preaching going on in John, right? <laughs> there's something else going on, right? And, and you know... In, not that there's pre there's not preaching because there is, um, but uh, different words are used. But what uh, what this might suggest is um, also, you know, kind of the question: How is the word used? You know, um, you know how we find it here, how we find it there. But um, for the sake of looking at the noun form of, of the message, preaching as it is, um, look at uh, Matthew 12:41. If you're there, please read. Uh, please read verse 41. Someone. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching 
of Jonah, and indeed, the greater than Jonah is here. Yeah, and, and that, uh, thank you, that, that word um, preaching is actually not a verb, it's a noun here, so message. Uh, you, you've heard of the word logos before? Yeah. You know, where we get like theology, uh, pneumatology, uh, biology, the study of something, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, that, that word is not used here, but it's used often in other places, you know, for a word or message, um, you know, the content of what is being preached. And here specifically, it's actually the kerugma, kerugma, message, right, uh, that is used here. And specifically, of course, then we have uh, a specific context in which it is used, and that is that of Jonah. What was the message of Jonah? Do you remember? Repent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Repent. For in 40 days, right, Nineveh will be destroyed. And that that's one thing about uh, Jonah. So uh, Jonah was, uh, of course, that prophet who, who went the other direction when God told him to go to Nineveh. And we learn why Jonah went to the went in the other direction rather than going to Nineveh. Why? Because he knew that God was a gracious God. And if they repented, mm -hmm. what would God do? Save them. Yeah. Let them well, live. He didn't like those people at all. Yeah. And he, he didn't want to go there. They were kind of scary people. Yeah. And it was later, of course, Nineveh is the capital of Babylon. Or no, Assyria. Assyria. But Assyria was the group, and, and they were they, they were uh, kind of a terrible group of people. Yeah, um, yeah I've been scared too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what they would, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, they would they would place the people into exile, but they would also, um, you know, I, I have some movies in mind, but, uh, you know, they, they would do terrible things to the people as kind of signs, you don't mess with us. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And the Assyrians, you might recall, they, they were the one that they were the the peoples who who uh, exiled Israel. Right. And when they exiled people, they took half the country and moved it to to Syria, and then they had Syrians move back into this other country. So you had a lot of intermarriages at that point. In time. Yeah. And, and so you know, and, and I, I want to do. I, I'd like to do more study on this if I can or when I'm able, but. Uh, but it, it is fascinating because it was under the Assyrians when they when they captured Samaria, which was the capital of Israel at the time, um, because of that intermarriage um, and the like, then uh, the people who came from that exile, you know, and their descendants were then called Samaritans. And we could, we we find the name the word Samaritan all over the Gospels, right? Samaritan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, it's so I mean, there's a there's a historical um, uh, relation there, and yeah, Jonah was afraid to go there, um, but uh, you know, he he was more afraid probably because if they repented, God would be gracious and they don't deserve it. Right. You know, that's what he thought. In his eyes. In yeah. his eyes, yeah. Um, which is which is really profound because Jonah kind of leaves you hanging. You know, don't you hate those kind of books and movies you're reading, and then you know <laughs> they, they don't have a conclusion to it. Yeah. Jonah well, is going to be another one. Yeah, <laughs> Jonah is one of those works. 
Uh, because we find, you know, Jonah is sitting outside the city, and then here, you know, God raises this plant, uh, you know, this vine, to protect him from the sun, and then he's all happy. You know, he's just waiting. Okay, you know, maybe maybe the city will be destroyed after all. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. Uh, but then, um, but then, but then the Lord also sends a worm to eat the plant. <laughs> And then, of course, it being sunny, we don't know what that's like here, do we? No. Um, how, how many days, by the way, is it sunny here? The year? <laughs> I think 300 to 330. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's more than not. Sure. When, when, when it gets cloudy or when it rains, you, you take notice, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And the wind, I guess you just get used to it. <laughs> the wind, that? you just kind of live. They ever get so this worm ate this vine, um, and 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 then the, the sun, you know, the sun came out, and he, uh, of course, you know, he, he started to suffer, and then he was complaining about that, and, and God, you know, asked Jonah, "Do you have any reason to complain?" He said, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> and God says, "You know, you did nothing for that plant. You know, and 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 you know, God gave this, God took it away, and and yet here are these, you know, I, I think it even states how many people." You know, God states how many people are in uh, in Nineveh. You know that uh, that God did not destroy. And again, Jonah did nothing for them. You know, um, so it wasn't up to him. But that's where it kind of leaves you hanging. Okay, did Jonah repent? Did he see the error of his ways? Um, you know, and, and to say that you know you have you know. Uh, if someone says, well, you have to know that God is using you in order, and you have to agree with him for God to be using you, not at all. I, all you have to do is look at Jonah, you know, for example. Uh, and, and there are many others, too. But with reference to preaching, uh, getting back to that, the, the message here, you know, the message of Jonah, of course, was one of repentance. And, you know, I, I mentioned this in the... Uh, you know, as I was introducing uh, this this topic as well, notice in verse 40 how uh, Jesus himself says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, or in the heart of the earth. Um, so, you know, this, this does, you know, a couple things. Primarily, of course, Jesus is making reference to the Old Testament as actually speaking about him. You know, just as Jonah was, you know, in this in this state, so also will the Son of Man be. It was foretold in the Old Testament. Another factor, too, um, using uh, rep, making reference to apologetics, what does this state about, you know, the uh, the historicity, the factualness? Is that a word even? But the the, the, the the facticity, that's not a word either, is it? Um, but, it's okay. But, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The, the, truthfulness of, the, the truthfulness of Jonah. You know, because I don't know how many times I've heard this, I've read this, well, you know, Jonah was just a, a tale. A whale and a tale, right? Yeah, the, 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 the biggest fish story that there is, right? Um, which is true. It is, uh, but it is true that it's a story. And it is, it is true that the account actually happened. So Jesus not only is saying that just as Jonah was, so, so, uh, so he will be, uh, but he's also verifying the account as truthful. 
And, and this is a way I would recommend, I would suggest, you know, reading the, the uh, scriptures too. When Jesus says something about the Old Testament, that means that the Old Testament is true. So, I mean, it, it, it's not a, I mean, this might not be an earth shattering kind of thing for many, uh, but, but apologetically, um, if Jesus makes reference, for example, in Matthew 19, when, when the, the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce, and he says, from the beginning it was not so. You know, for in the beginning God made them male and female. What does that say about not only Genesis 2, but Genesis 1? And the entire writing of Genesis. You know, um, or, you know, we, we have especially, uh, you know, for Christmas Eve, making reference to that, but this coming Sunday, 2 Samuel chapter 7, with uh, with Luke one, be be uh, be listening for that, looking for that this coming Sunday. But Second uh, Samuel seven is where uh, God promises David a house that he will build a house, and uh, that's of course fulfilled in in, in Christ, right? Um, but but that verifies what Jesus says there. It, it, he's not only re making reference to okay this story that you have, you know I'm making a, a correlation here. Um, as if it's uh, if it's myth, it's not. It's actually true. And uh, you know, so I, I'm I'm saying this not so much for your sake, but uh, at least directly. But when you're talking with others who, who might have issue or who might take issue with Genesis and say, I, and I've heard people say this too before. Well, I can be a Christian, but I don't necessarily believe that God created the world in six days as recorded in Genesis. Or you've heard maybe that uh, Genesis. One and two are two different accounts. That kind of gets under my skin too. Um, but but you see these things, and then you know. So on the one hand, you say, well, I, yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't believe in Jonah. I don't believe this. Well, how can you not? Which, which is more difficult to believe, right? Some people don't even believe in Adam and Eve, and I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. I think part of the reason, though, is because they don't know the rest of Scripture, you know, and uh, uh, you know that that's that's part of it. But I, I think it, it's you know if if one believes in Adam and Eve, what does that mean about the need for a savior? If I don't believe, you know, if, if I try to convince myself that there was no Adam and Eve, then guess what? Who makes who makes sin to be sin? Society. Or myself, not a God that I have to answer to. And uh, you know, but it, it, it's not uh, initially. I think anyway, it's not initially. Uh, you're trying to convince someone that creation is true. Rather, trying to persuade them of the depth of our sin and corruption and God's grace in Christ. You know, yeah, in other words, if we come from animals, then right. you know, I mean, animals don't sin. Right. There's no need for a savior. I don't think animals are going to be, yeah. you know. Right. Yeah. Don't they, say it. So don't, don't tell it. me I come from some kind of thing that slithered out of the water. Right. You know? Yeah. So, well, see, the thing is, is in that in that view, the deal is, is um, the point is, is what happens then is if if we do if we are evolutionary, then how can sin come before Adam and Eve? But yet we know that there yeah. was, if you believe that, then you know that there was death before Adam. Right. So now you're looking yeah. at. No. Yeah. 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 You know, so 
that's that's their argument, okay? And uh, but the thing is, is, as we understand it, you know, Adam and Eve were the ones that sinned. So how can yeah. how can sin enter the world if there was sin before Adam and Eve? Right. Because if there was, then there was also death. Yeah. Before Adam and Eve, and that's you know that's a a, a supposition. A, a, you know, kind of an assumed truth among evolutionists is that there's always been death. Yeah. Uh, but such is not the case. And then there's another facet to this too. You, you may have heard of atheistic evolution. No. Or not, well, atheistic evolution. I, what I meant to say was, um, um, what is the other, what is the term I'm thinking of? Um, theistic evolution. Yes. You've heard of that? Uh, so, you know, atheistic evolution basically is, you know, first they say there's no God. Right. And then basically having said that there's no God, then, you know, it's almost as if they have to try to, okay, I'll, I'll just say it kind we, of grasping, but either, they have to make it up yeah, in either, terms of how God You either evolve. The two deals is you either A, evolve, or some little green person dropped us off and started. <laughs> Which is, uh, have, have any of you seen, uh, uh, why is my mind slipping today? Uh, it was a long day, yesterday. <laughs> maybe, uh, it could be. Uh, I have a copy of it somewhere, but uh, it, it's with, I can't even remember, the, Ben Stein. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah. Ben oh. Stein. Yeah. Oh, his book, uh, Bitch Stein. Ben Stein. He was the guy in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. Bueller. He's got those little Bueller. Bueller. Is he still around? I think so. I think he's like a financial guy. Once in a while, you'll hear his voice in a cartoon or something. Yeah. Yeah. But but he uh, maybe it'll, it'll come to me and, and if you if you remember it, call it out. But uh, he he had a movie or it was a kind of a documentary. Uh, on uh, on science and evolution uh, and uh, let's see what else besides evolution uh, you know the the scientific establishment and those who essentially lost their jobs uh, because they even questioned the theory of evolution you know so you have journalists you have biologists you have those in academia yeah. you know in colleges and the like. And it, it was fascinating because he has an interview with Richard Dawkins. Now, Richard Dawkins, he claimed he's an atheistic evolutionist. And I, I don't, does he even have a biology degree? I can't remember. Um, but but he's the one, and we, we've made reference to him on, on uh, previous occasions, but he's staunchly anti-Christian. But the way that he speaks against Christianity is is, is really it, it really kind of flounders into name calling. You know, he has very little substance. Ben Stein or the no, not Ben Stein. Richard Dawkins. Yeah, but Ben Stein in his interview, I mean, he he asked some really good questions, and you know, he he uh, he's talking with you know Richard Dawkins, and Richard Dawkins, of course, does not believe that there's a God. He believes that everything came from evolution, but really interestingly, towards the end, uh, towards the end, I, I think uh, it might be at the end, he's asking and he keeps, you know, egging, uh, Ben Stein does, eggs Dawkins on, okay, so where did life begin? 
if it, if you say it started here, how did that get there? Yeah. How did that get there? So you know, he went back and and then Dawkins said, well, I, I suppose it was aliens. You know, that's exactly yeah. what he said. And it's like, okay, where's your scientific evidence and proof? And you know, so if someone says, well, we follow the well, maybe I, I shouldn't say that, right? If we follow the science, we're that way. But I, I think today we're finding that that's not necessarily always true. Uh, but especially is it so in terms of evolution and uh, evolutionary theory? Atheistic evolution kind of has, um, you know, so you have no God and then evolution is the uh, the means by which life came to be. Yeah. When did they start teaching evolution? I don't remember that when I was growing up at all. Probably in the 60s, everything went downhill. About 50 years ago, that would have been, I would have been before that. You mean in the school when they started yeah. teaching? Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that we had to start in the 60s. Yeah, it was in the 60s. Everything started going down. We had Bible study in, in elementary school. Yeah. Well, in the 60s, when, when they took the, took the Bible out of the classroom. Yeah, man, Bible, prayer, all that. Okay, yeah. All right. Was, was there something, does anyone recall the, was it the Monkey Scopes trial? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, basi yeah. that's basically the start of the yeah. evolutionary theory yeah. in America, basically. Because up to that point, the churches yeah. were... But what I thought after reading the trial, the, the, the scientist on the church side did not do a very good job of presenting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think that's... Uh, you know, if you want to have someone defend a position, they should know what they're talking about. Or at least, and, and not only know, but be able to articulate, you know, and anticipate uh, counter-arguments as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, kind of a fundamental teaching, I think, in debate or forensics. I've never, I don't think I've ever been in a debate or forensics class before, uh, but, but anticipating the counter-arguments can be very helpful. Because then you can you can present your case in such a way it's true, but you're also assuming okay they're going to say this, you know, and I, I think it, it can be very fruitful in discussion, you know, um, when they say well that's really not what we say okay and then you ask well what do you what do you mean what yeah, do you well, say the thing basically is like, the way they presented it was pretty much similar to what the early church did with people like Galileo and Copernicus and yeah. stuff like those individuals who understood that the earth was not the center of the universe anymore. You know, right. that was the church's position for the longest time yeah. until it was proven otherwise. But in that argument with um, about the monkey and, and the, the court trial, that's basically what happened with the church. They did not do a very good job of defending yeah. the word of God the word of God and the science. I mean that was their that was their problem. And, and you know where where it started. Uh, I, I think I, I think in America, I don't want to say in America, but for America, um, I, I think very much uh, instrumental in the dissemination of evolutionary theory is of course the use of Darwin, yeah, Darwinianism. Darwinian. Um, but uh, you know there, there's a what about pamphlet? What about creation? Um, or what about um, you know intelligent design? Creation and intelligent design and the like, um, and the, he in, in this article in, in the what about uh, creation I think um, 
there's a reference to Charles Darwin in there. And uh, Charles Darwin, to my knowledge, um, actually I think he was actually going to go into the seminary to become a pastor. And then something happened and then he became angry at God. Yeah, and, you know, the, I, and the thing about it is he really didn't develop the theory of evolution. It was others who took his yeah. his uh, yeah. observations and did, did the actual... Yeah. So I almost want to say that evolution, um, crash evolution, is basically means to try to justify the non-existence of a god. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, that's it. You know, if you, if you can, with evolution, you, you can, you don't, you don't have to basically deal with your sin question. Yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. probably the biggest thing with evolutionary theory. Yeah. You do not have to deal with sin at that point in time. Right. Because sin then becomes a social construct determined by society or societies. And whenever you go down that road, it, it's, I mean, that's kind of where we are today, I think, uh, in, in large degree. And that is whenever, it's, whenever sin is considered a social construct, it never remains social. It becomes more individualistic. Well, he built on somebody else's ideas. Yeah. And somebody else built on his ideas. They were all influenced right. by each other, all these philosophers. They just sit around and think up stuff. And, yeah. then, uh, and, and now there's such a commitment to this Darwinism theory oh, yeah. that it's it's like yeah. running rampant. Yeah, and, and one of the TV shows that, or, you know, it's, I, I think it's called Planet Earth. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. It's got. Uh, Attenborough is the speaker. Yeah. You know, it, it's very well done in terms of you know the, you know the the, the videography and, and the yeah. like. But every once in a while, often probably more often than not, you know he'll talk about millions of years and you know, yeah, millions, the, millions. You know, and, and, and the like, and it, it just uh, you know it, this is just assumed, you know, to say to, so to say anything against what is assumed to be true, you know that kind of marks you out. Now, theistic evolution, you'll notice that the A is not there. So this is, uh, theistic evolution is, is kind of the position that says, okay, there is a God, but he used evolution. Um, kind of a modified form of evolution, perhaps. But one who uses, you know, God, there is a God, but he used evolution to create the world. But fundamentally, there's a few issues with that. One that was mentioned before, well, if that is true, the Bible actually teaches that God created the world before there was sin, before there was death. But evolutionary theory takes a position, of course, as mentioned, that you have sin and death before the fall. You know, uh, and and you know another another factor too with theistic evolution. If one holds to that position, what do you do then about Genesis? What do you do about Genesis one and two? Uh, what about uh, Hebrews? By faith, we understand that God created the heavens and the earth according to his word. You know, um, in these other places, uh, I, I think uh, most immediately, too, of uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where God is giving explanation to the what we number the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Why did God give the commandment for that particular day? Because in six days... God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. What do you do with that? Right? I mean, there's there's a number of questions. 
Um, but ultimately then, if you place questions in Genesis, what's to stop someone from questioning also the New Testament? So that's that's my my thought when I have taught creation in the past, both here and other places. Is if you do away with chapters one and two and three of Genesis, yeah. and say that it never happened, well then what are you what are you going to say about John three sixteen? That, that that's not true either. That's that's what you're basically saying. Yeah. It's kind of like the deal. The Bible is the Word of God, or it contains, the, or does it contain the Word of God? Right. You know, then you're picking and choosing. Yeah. And then once you start saying it contains the Word of God, then the amount of the Word of God that is actually in the Bible becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And who decides that? It's man at that point in time. Yeah. If you question. Any part of this, you question all of it. Yeah. Just like the law. Yeah. I think Sunday I'm going to go watch a ball game. <laughs> no. That's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. We only have the knowledge that God has revealed to us. Mm-hmm. All the knowledge comes from God. So unless He reveals mm-hmm. the way right. to, you know, to men, how we come to the lack of, how they condemn it. But the scientist type took a million years into a few thousand years uh, is because God made it that way to confuse man. So you try to know it. Yeah. 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 And there's there's a ton of discussion that can continue from that too. Like I mean, in terms of Adam and Eve, we don't know how old they were when God created, or how mature I should say. Right. You know, were they 13? Were they 10? Were they 25? I don't know. They were young adults. Or another, yeah, question, I mean, another question that goes along with that is, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and scripture answers answers that in Revelation 25, right? And, and no. Does, <laughs> There's no Revelation okay. 25. Does a man have one rear blessed? I mean, is that... Oh, yeah. No, it, I, I, think I just can't imagine. He must have just taken the rib out and formed her in the, and then, and then put the rib back. I just haven't ever figured that one out. Yeah. Well, you have to realize he, you really have to realize he was perfect at that point in time, so it probably regenerated. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he was a from what I understand, Adam and Eve were created to live forever. They were. Yeah. So age would not matter. Yeah, and, and he, of course he created woman before the fall, right? Yeah. He gave marriage too before the fall. He gave work before the fall. Think of that for a moment. Um, but uh, I do every day work. work. Yeah. Bill. <laughs> there, there was. A, I have a nice meal for you, nobody. You know, thinking, thinking too. Um, you know, how does, how does? Okay, so speaking of what we're speaking about, how does Genesis one, one, begin? Everybody knows well. Okay, not everybody, but everybody in the beginning, right? God. In the beginning, God. Yes. What about John one one? In the beginning was the word. Was the word. I mean, if you put the two together, and if you hold one of these positions, how do you sustain that? And say that okay, God did this, but in Genesis and in John it says this. Again, who becomes the main interpreter? Not God. Not God. 
but man. You know, and, and you know, that's another aspect too, um, you know, with, with evolutionary theory, it's, it's always fascinating to me how many different, okay, so you have all these scientists who might say, oh yeah, we, we hold to that position, it's scientific fact and everything else. If it is, then how come there's very little agreement? Was it a million years? Was it a billion years? Was it a trillion years? <laughs> you know, I mean, all these questions come up. And I understand that with reference to, uh, you know, that, that same uh, argument or a similar argument can be attested against Christianity. You know, well, there, there's so many different denominations. You've heard that before, right? Yeah. Um, we're not all united in the faith. We don't all believe the same thing. Uh, because if we did, Things would be very different, uh, but but then you know then you know simply we can say well what does the text say does everyone agree with what the text says? No, they don't. And if they don't, is it the fault of the Bible? No. No. It's the fault of simple men. Yeah. You know so uh, you know I think that's uh, part of the discussion too. Um, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, speaking of the message, not the, uh, the translation or the paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Uh, but uh, you've heard of that, right? There's, there's any number of different Bible translations. You're, you're aware of that. There's King James, there's New King James, there's NIV, NASB. Uh, did I say ESV already? No. RSV, NRSV. Uh, the Jerusalem Bible, the Amplified Bible, etc., etc. Uh, many of these are, of course, standard translations, but there's also something called paraphrases. Uh, the Living Way Bible, yeah. that was popular, I think, in the 80s, right? 80s, 90s. Yes. Um, the New Living Translation, uh, the Message, that's kind of along a similar line. That it's not a word-for-word -word translation, or it's it's not as closely literally uh, to the text, to the Greek or the Hebrew, but it's more a paraphrase. Yep. You know, kind of a thought-for-thought thought rather than a word-for-word. Word. And you're at the mercy of the editor that. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not referring to the message of that here. Uh, but could someone read verse 21 of First Corinthians 1? For since in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save the ones believing. Yeah. Okay, so in, where are you, which translation are you reading from? That was, uh, it's called LITV. Okay. It's a literal word for word. Okay. Okay, because the, the, uh, the text, it, through the folly of what we preach, uh, I think that the we preach is not actually a verb. You know, it's you know the message that is preached. That's kind of the emphasis here. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 23, of course, would be a little bit different. Um, we preach Christ crucified. That's you know the the opening verse here uh, that we have for the study. We preach Christ crucified. That's the verb, Russo, But this is the message, the the Kerubah. Um, and by the way, one who gives it a kerugma is a kerux. A kerux, you know, a proclaimer. You know, so there's that too. So we have that word evangelism. Uh, that's the next word on the list that we'll be looking at. Um, and and that uh, seems to be, uh, you 
you know, somewhat particular, but an evangelist or an evangelist preaches the evangelist or evangelizes with the evangelism or in evangelism. So, um, but essentially, uh, you know, the, the Greek word for evangelism means good message or good messenger, um, you know, kind of thing. So let's look at uh, Luke 1, verse 19. And I know we, we have to take a break and probably a little bit longer because we have more food. Okay. <laughs> it takes you a while to put it all on your plate. <laughs> and she put big plates on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Luke 1, verse 19. All right, so yeah, they uh, they bring to you the good news. That's actually a verb. Preach to you the good news. Um, and of course, this is the angel Gabriel who's speaking with Zechariah. Remember, about six months before visiting with Mary. And this good news is of this kind that Zachariah's wife would bear a son in her old age, right? And they would call him John, and he would prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, before break, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 2. So this chapter later, verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Yeah, so again, that good news, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that speaking the good news, that's what the angel is doing. This is the verb form. So it, it, it kind of reads, in, in our English translations, oftentimes it reads kind of as a noun, right? You know, I bring you, I bring you, that would be the verb, I bring. The good news is, uh, read as a noun, but it's actually a verb form. So it's kind of, you know, preaching good news kind of together. And this is the kind of good news that is being preached. And this one, of course, has to do with the angel Gabriel uh, preaching to Mary the good news that she will bear the Christ child. And that the Christ child is coming through her womb. Okay, I'd like to continue on uh, looking at this, uh, this uh, verb form for Basically, preach the good news. That's how it's often translated. It's you, uh, you, uh, But where we get the word evangelism from? Evangelist, uh, uh, evangelize, and the like. And I'd like to move to uh, uh, another, or actually, volume two of Luke, which is Acts of the Apostles. So, if you recall, uh, Luke, uh, Luke. Uh, writes in both accounts, both uh, to Luke, or both uh, the gospel with his name, and then also uh, Acts, I think, to Theophilus. Theophilus. Um, Acts chapter 8, in particular. That's what I want to look at. Acts 8. So you, you might recall, just by way of review, in Acts chapter 1, you know, Luke actually uses the name Theophilus, which is a Greek name. Uh, Theophilus, and in uh, in Acts chapter one he says, "In the first book, O Theophilus." 
So this is volume two of Luke. <clears throat> but Luke, or not Luke, Acts, chapter eight, and particularly verse four. So if you find it, feel free to. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And the word they were preaching was that good news. This is not the proclaiming word. Uh, this is not the announced word. This is the preaching, the evangel word, the evangelizing word. And you might recall that just a, a little, a, a little brief uh, review of this account. Uh, this this time is when Saul, who later became Paul, was still Saul. He had not been converted yet. So there was this great persecutions, and this is sometimes, I think, referred to as the first great persecution of Christians. And what did they do? They scattered all about, and they were evangelizing people. And the word of the Lord continued to grow. People repented, the people heard. Okay. Now, um, now that, that, that word there is basically preach the good news, evangelize. Um, that word evangelize is also used in Acts chapter 8. Verse 35. That Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to Yeah, he evangelized from the scripture passage of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So if you jump up to verse 32, where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading was, like a sheep he would eat, was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened out his mouth, and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from him? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, you know, who is the prophet talking about? And then we get to verse 35. But he's evangelizing him, based on the word from Isaiah. Okay, and, and then maybe one other passage in, uh, you know, with reference to evangelize, evangelizing, uh, Galatians chapter 1. And verses 8 and 
um, in, in the first sentence. Um, <clears throat> but with reference to uh, the, with, with, with reference to doctrine, with reference to here, I mean, you know, all you have to do is think of what Jesus says: He who believes in me will never die. Maybe he doesn't have to state it, but uh, but in other places he does, of course. Like in John three, right? We know the passage: God so loved the world. Uh, we also, uh, if if we continue reading in verse seventeen and following, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, mm-hmm. but that through Him the world be saved. And then He goes on to say, He who believes is saved already, but he who does not believe is condemned. And that's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there, there's no there's no wiggle room around that. Um, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Jesus says. Um, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sin. That's pretty clear, too. Uh, and this is something that other religions will not say, where they will say something very different. You know, um, but, but there's a reason why, um, particularly in the New Testament, of course, you know, there, there's the em- emphasis on faith, but not a nebulous, vacuous faith without an object. It's always it, it's not a it's it's not a kind of a faith that is somewhere out there. You remember that from uh, 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 X Files? Mm-hmm. The <laughs> truth is out there. Yeah. 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 Now I have that song stuck or the music stuck in my head. <laughs> the truth yeah. is out there in left field. Yeah. But no, I mean you know, and and, and it's actually uh, you know Paul in, himself says in, in Romans ten that. Uh, you know, it is. You know, what we what what you believe is what we preach. You know, in your ear, Romans 10. Um, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right, hearing by the word of Christ. Okay. So Galatians 1 and 1, 8 and 9 have to do with evangelism. There's still yet another word uh, that is used, uh, often translated uh, for preach or proclaim. And, uh, you know, for, for some examples there, we could look at Acts chapter 4. So we go backwards in the text to Acts chapter 4, verse 2. Content, but it's not it's not Russo, it's not preach the gospel, it's announce. Declare. Declare what? The, Jesus, the res, you know, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So that word teaching and proclaiming, that would be an interesting study too, just to see how often they come together. Because it's not uh, you know, so often, you know, we might think of Bible class, okay, Bible class and then preaching, they're two different things. Um, but there's a lot of teaching that goes on in preaching, too. And you may have noticed that there's a lot of preaching that goes on with teaching as well. Right? Um, so, you know, they're, they're kind of uh, complementary to each other. Um, but, uh, but this is one example. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 17. 
<clears throat> staying in the same in the same work. Acts chapter 17, and then actually verses two and three. Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days and reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Okay, yeah, so this, uh, you know, the, the specifics would be whom I proclaim to you. Announce. And again, Christ, you know, with reference to the resurrection of the dead. Okay, and then one more, which is really kind of uh, fascinating to me, which we, we often, I, I don't think, we, we talk about it, but it's not always uh, so much emphasized, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> There's actually more going on in the Lord's Supper than just receiving the forgiveness of sins. We do receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive Christ's body and blood. But the scriptures also reveal that something else is going on too as we do that. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, so that do show, proclaim, announce, make known. Other kinds of synonyms. Synonyms can be used too, you know, for this. But, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, it, it is, a, the Lord's Supper is, without a doubt, a gift of God for the strengthening of the soul, the forgiveness of sins and the like. It's also a proclamation a confession of faith too you know and and you know sometimes we forget that and certainly this is something that I, I think many fellowships do not get they do not understand I mean I, I still and maybe I'm just asking the wrong people but I still don't understand if, if someone says well you know this is a, a really important meal we're going to celebrate it only once a year because it's so special you look at a text like this what are they not proclaiming <laughs> The rest of the year. Well, I understand in the Lutheran Church back in the day that they would take communion four times a year in some places. Was that here in the states? Do you know? It was here in the states, but it was like I don't know yeah. somewhere in the Midwest. I mean, and they would make it was a big deal. You know, yeah. you would go oh, yeah. see the pastor the day yeah. ahead. And yeah. It was like confession to be sure that you were prepared yeah. for communion. Because I had people tell me yeah. that that's what they did. Oh, yeah. It was people... You have to announce. Right? When, yeah, yeah, when we were living in St. Louis. And so I don't know if it was churches, particularly in St. Louis, or if it was, you know, from somewhere in Missouri. But yeah, that's what they did. You had to announce and you had to go. And it was only four times a year. Yeah, yeah, the, Methodist churches, the Methodist churches in Illinois did that too, because we didn't... Really? It was a big deal. Yeah, to go to communion. Yeah, yeah. Once a month. Y'all had it once a month? Yeah, we used to have it once a month. I think it's more times a year. 
I really do. From what I've Catholic read. Church every day. Every day. Every they day. have a, they have a a version of the mass with communion every day, and there are people who take communion every day to even now. But so I thought that was really strange when they were telling me they would do it four times a year, yeah. and now you're saying once a year. Well, no, I, I'm not saying. I'm saying they, others are other saying people. once a year. So yeah. Um, yeah. I grew up saying two once a year. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I got confirmed in the army. Well, they didn't give me communion because it was Christmas time. I was going for Christmas. Once you take communion in your own church when you get home. Yeah. So I got to Laramie uh, and uh, we're going to have communion. I had to make arrangements with the pastor to take communion. Hmm. We had to make arrangements in St. John's at Larry. And I, I was baptized, confirmed there. Yeah. And um, it's not until recently that they, I don't even know if they do it anymore. I haven't been out there quite a while. But do they do it every Sunday? I, the last no. I heard, it was every other Sunday. Yeah, I think fine. that's what. I don't know is. if they're still doing every other Sunday. Yeah, yeah they're they're kind of kind. Well, but they have the elder doing that on the Sundays. Apparently, when sin is not preaching, the elder has it, so he's not going to do communion. Was it Luther that wrote a minimum of four times a year? It may have been um, under the the Christian questions and answers, right? that what you're referring to? So well, like at the end there, um, I, I think there, or uh, it, it could be in his large catechism that he makes reference to that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and in the context, he's speaking about, you know, you know, there's a danger of despising the sacrament. You know, so it's, it's not the lack of the sacrament that condemns it's the despising of it. You know, um, so in other words, you know, someone who says, well, I don't need it. Say it. I'm good. You know, I, and I've, I've heard that too. Well, I'm good. No, you're really? not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. What an answer. No, you're not. Yeah. I mean, and, and what, what, what's sad is, you know, then, then Luther would respond, if someone says, I'm good, he would say, you know, okay, I'm putting words in his mouth probably, but really. Romans. You don't have any sin. You know, you don't live in the flesh anymore. You don't, you know, you know X, Y, and Z kind of thing, you know, formulaic. Uh, but you know that the sacrament is not for the righteous. The sacrament is for the unrighteous, for the sinners. And uh, it is it is through that, of course, that He gives His grace. Now, uh, I I did want to comment on, on a couple of things with reference to frequency. Uh, prior to Luther's day and during Luther's day, they celebrated pretty much, if not every week, if not every day, every week. You know, so in the confessions. You know, they're, they're, they're speaking about, um, you know, every Lord's Day. And Luther actually would recommend, too, wherever Christians are present who desire the sacrament. They're also. Now, uh, I, I think uh, uh, something called pietism, which is about the 17th, 18th century, greatly influenced the Lutheran Church, too. Now, pietism is a movement where the the emphasis is on the individual and their faith and what they do and the de-emphasis on what God himself does in word and sacrament. Uh, so along the lines with that then, uh, with the rise in pietism, there, were, uh, there, there was not such an emphasis on the Lord's Supper. And I think that could contribute or did contribute to less frequency in reception of the Lord's Supper. 
But with reference to our state right now, and, and like every other week or every four months, uh, I think there was a time, and I heard this from a, from a historian, or a, he was very interested in history um, in the church too, and he knew his he knew his stuff. And he made the comment. We were talking about this once with some others, and he made the comment that uh, in the uh, you know in the earlier time of the Lutheran Church in America, there was something called circuit writers. Right. Right. So you know you mentioned Methodism. It, you know, also there too, but but in the Lutheran Church, when you have congregations that are scattered, and there's only one pastor for like four or five congregations, and they're like hundreds of miles away, or you know, just um, you know, maybe not even hundreds of miles away, but they didn't have cars then either. You know, so it took some time to travel. So you might have, you know, a circuit rider might be in one area for a certain period of time, but then he would have to travel to another congregation and so on and so forth and and that really that that made more sense to me in terms of every other week simply because if you don't have a pastor every sunday you're not going to have communion every sunday if you follow what uh what the lutheran church missouri synod practices uh, by uh by only those who or who are called and ordained or ordained and called into the ministry serve in these capacities right um, which actually makes a lot of sense, but I, I think a growing number of LCMS congregations are offering the Lord's Supper more frequently. Good. Yeah, which is good. You know, um, and you know, we we've been greatly influenced, uh, whether known or not known, um, with uh, with uh, what I'll just call Protestantism or Evangelicalism um, and and the like, and, and maybe that. Could be discussed more at, at another time, but uh, this uh, this uh, here on, on uh, it's slide 159 in your handout. But the gospel is the principal reading in each service, okay, and this is from Lutheran worship. Correct. Uh, Lutheran worship, and I, I think this might be Lutheran worship history and practice. The gospel is the principal reading in each service and will ordinarily serve as the foundation for the preaching when the congregation gathers on the Lord's Day. Traditionally, Sunday preaching in the Lutheran Church has been based upon the Sunday gospel to a far greater degree than is the case in other churches using the parochial system. This practice is based on the understanding that preaching in the chief service serves to interpret the gospel and bring it into the present moment. Okay, so I, I mentioned... At an earlier time, at another study, I think, uh, another time that we were meeting, that really, you know, our theology is quite a bit different from other theologies in the Christian church. So when a pastor preaches a sermon, we actually believe that it's God's word being preached. Not because of the pastor, but because of the word that he's preaching, right? So in other words, um, I've heard it, I, and I, I can't remember the exact, I, I do remember the video, by the way, with with Ben Stein. No intelligence allowed. That was at least one of the titles. Um, but, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we do believe that God's word is effectual. It's effective. Yes. Said another way, God's word does what it says and says what it does. And that applies also to the divine service on Sunday morning. 
in the liturgy and in the preaching too. That God's word is actually convicting of sin and also saving from sin through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, the preacher says what the word says to those whom the word has gathered here and now to hear it with open hearts and receive it into faithful hearts. Uh, you know, the, the emphasis of the divine service, of course, is not what we are doing, but what God himself is doing. And by the way, I would say in real time, which is another way of saying contemporarily. Dare I use that word contemporary? What does that mean anyway? I mean, fundamentally, doesn't the word mean here and now? What is the divine service and singing praises to God if not here and now? Receiving the forgiveness of sins. In, in other words, we don't have to wait for it. It's right there. Isn't that great? You know, so, so I hear the forgiveness of sins, the absolution. That's for me. That's for you. Right now. Good stuff. All right, um, we, we've looked at some of this already, but uh, you know, in the sense of you know the various words that are used, I'll just make reference to this briefly because I know we're, we're kind of running out on time. Um, let's see, we looked at Galatians one. Why don't we? Uh, we're, we're actually pretty close to there. Uh, actually, let's look at uh, Luke twenty-four. You know, for the content. Anyway. Luke 24, verses 44 to 47. And when you find it, feel free to read it. Out loud, please. 44 to 47. And then he said to them, These are my words that I speak to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, that, that word proclaimed, if anyone is interested in knowing this, this is the word keruso, the, the first one that we you know, kind of addressed, uh, proclaiming, announcing out, you know, kind of thing. Um, and, and notice that the content Right? The repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in whose name? Of course, in Jesus' name, right? The one who suffered and on the third day rose according to the scriptures. Um, and, and it's all right here. You'll, you'll also notice, uh, just by way of review, in verse 44, we have reference to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, the Old Testament, right there. Everything written about me, and Jesus is the referent, he's the speaking must be fulfilled remember Jesus came not to abolish the law and the prophets but to fulfill them and then he did alright um, what else can we look at in uh, importance of doctrine and distinctions how about Isaiah 5 Isaiah 5, verses 
20 and 21. It, it strikes me 
you know, when, when I when I first became a pastor, I, I, I began attending the pastor's conferences, and, and my dad uh, had, had recommended a, you know, a pastor that was in Wisconsin, so I, I, I actually met him, and I met a few others, but it was so strange to me, because I, I wasn't familiar with this, but they would be drinking and smoking, cigars <laughs> and the like, and while this was uh, in the... Uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, wow. But uh, relatively late. But but, yeah. but it was just uh, and, and these were these were good faithful men, you know. Um, and, and I don't want to say they overdrank because I don't think they did. But but they weren't also they, they weren't pietistic about it either. No. When you know? Scott took his first call at Salem and we'd go in the fellowship hall and they have ashtrays all over for the Bible class. You know, <laughs> the pastor's up there. The pastor's up there at the podium, smoking a cigarette while he's doing the Bible class. Times are different, I think, right? Yeah, it's it's quite different now. A little bit, but uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, nowhere does it say that uh, you know any drinking is sinful. Well, Psalm 104. I also quoted that one to him. I said it does say in Psalm 104 that God created wine to gladden the hearts of men. And then I also mentioned about Ruth, the book of Ruth, where Boaz at the end of the day always had a little happy hour. That's a free translation. <laughs> 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 All right. One last thing. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's take a trek to Ezekiel chapter three. We've been kind of studying that a little bit, but it's. Uh, I'm sure it's fresh in our memories. Everybody knows what the Ezekiel 3, 16 to 21 says, right? Um, but with reference to the office of pastor. And uh, please, uh, I'll, I'll, just, uh, I, I'll just go ahead and read it for the sake of time. Um, at the end of the seven days... The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning for me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from, the, from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you you might recall that uh, just a couple weeks ago, wasn't it, that we looked at Ezekiel 33, which is very similar, mm -hmm. yeah. right? You know, and the watchman and his responsibility. And um, you know, we—I I was speaking with, uh, with with someone just uh, just the other day about this, but uh, you know, the comment that, that was made was, you know, well, we want to we want to read ourselves into the scriptures, you know. So so how does this apply to me? How do I fit in with the text? Mm -hmm. And my response to him was, you know, that the text does not always apply to us specifically in the sense of, you know, I'm not Ezekiel, 
Are you Ezekiel? You know, I, I mentioned this in a sermon once, uh, if not more, that you do not save the world. Who does? Jesus. Yeah. Um, what about that phrase, what would Jesus do? Oh, no. I, I, I counter-argument to that, are you Jesus? You know, the similar use to Sacrificator kind of fits in, I think. Right? Um, but uh, you're not Ezekiel either. I'm not Ezekiel. I am a pastor called by this congregation to serve, right? And oh, so I have a responsibility. don't give you as much trouble as I gave, I gave <laughs> Ezekiel. Thankfully, yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, but, but you know, that's something too. So like not everyone is a Jonah. There's only one Jonah that I'm aware of. There's only one Christ. There's only one Isaiah, one Abraham. I, I, I did refer to that in a sermon, didn't I, about Abraham? Not everyone, God doesn't call everyone to sacrifice his son. Thankfully. But he did call Abraham to do that. So we have to be careful about kind of putting ourselves in the text where we are not to put ourselves into the text. Right? Um, but rather to take out from the text what is said. You know, so with Ezekiel, you know, his responsibility was to preach and to teach and to call this people to repentance. If they were wicked or righteous, turning from their righteousness. It was their responsibility to hear. You know, and have to turn. And if he spoke the message and they did not, then he was kind of he was he was free from any charges because he did his task, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they were to hear. So um, I want to draw your attention to the office of the ministry, and we have to talk more about this too. Um, to obtain such faith, God instituted the office of the ministry. Now this is what we were kind of getting at before about if if, if the congregation has no pastor, they should not be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Right? And there's reason for that. I think we look at uh, we'll, we'll look at four, our Article 14 also briefly. But God instituted the office of the ministry that has provided the gospel and the sacraments. Through these, the gospel and the sacraments, as through means, He gives the Holy Spirit who works faith when and where He pleases in those who hear the gospel. And the gospel teaches that we have a gracious God not by our own merits but by the merit of Christ when we believe this. And continuing on, condemned are the Anabaptists. Anabaptists uh, believed that you had to be baptized again if you were baptized as a child, because uh, you know the term that is used today is believers' baptism. You know, um, so there are still a number of groups that do not look at the Catholic Church, or the Lutheran Church, or other congregations or other church bodies that baptize infants. Well, that wasn't valid. Um, which is really sad because they're saying God's work is not valid. Of course, they don't believe it's God's work. So, um, but condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that the Holy Spirit comes to us through our own preparations, thoughts, and works without the external word of the gospel. Um, when we speak of gospel, the, the, the gospel and the sacraments, sometimes we use the word in the sacraments. These are means by which God gives faith, creates faith, sustains, and strengthens faith. He doesn't do it, uh, again, nebulously or in a vacuum. Or as mentioned before, you know, it's not just out there somewhere. Actually, um, you know, some some said, I, I've heard this before, you know, especially with hunters. Oh, I can I, I, I can go out uh, in my in my hunting stand and find God. <laughs> on the fishing boat. On the fishing boat. Oh, on the fishing boat. Okay, that's a, or the golf course. Yeah, on the golf course. Yeah, I mean, you could fill in the blank. Yeah. You know, but but the, you know, the the meaning that they're giving is the same. 
Wow. Really, I don't have to yeah. be in church. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in, in, in response to that, well, how do you know God is there for you? Oh, I like those last two words. For you. Yeah. Yeah, the word in the sacrament is for you. Yeah. I sometimes say, you can worship the Lord on the golf course or at the fishing hole, because that's first use of the law. Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, the, yeah. we look at the wonders of God. First article first. stuff, too, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and that's fine. Yeah. But that's not going to save you. You still yeah. need to meet with other Christians. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm yeah. saying. The, the, just the first use of the law is incomplete. Yeah. And, you know? and, and to hear the word. Now, um, I, I do want to, I, I have this slide and, and maybe one other. Um, and we're running up on time. And thank you for that. Um, for well, we've had it. lunch, so see, yeah, yeah we already <laughs> And there's still food, too. Still so, food. Yeah. so to obtain such faith, the question I might have, you know, or one might, you know, have just by reading Article 5, what faith is being spoken of here? And Article 4 gets at that in the Augsburg Confession. Also, they teach that men cannot be justified before God. This is the kind of faith. By their own strength, merits, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received in favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, who by his death has made satisfaction for our sins. This faith God imputes for righteousness in his sight. And then we have Article 5, to obtain that faith. That we, are, we don't save ourselves, that Christ has done it all. Um, for this reason, God has instituted the office of the ministry. Not for himself, but for you. All right, and then we also hear, uh, uh, actually this is the part of the bishops. Um, towards the, yeah, the, the last slide here. Our teachers assert that according to the gospel, the power of the keys or the power of bishops is a power and command of God to preach the gospel, to forgive and retain sins, and to administer and distribute the sacraments. For Christ sent out the apostles with this command, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the authority of the pastor is not to say, okay, uh, do this my way, or no other way. My way is the only way. Uh, that's that's not the job of the, the pastor or the church. Nor is it, uh, dare I say too, um, you know, it's not the work of the church to, to dictate, okay, this is the age of accountability. Um, you have to fast on Fridays during lunch because, da, da, da. You know, you can't eat any meat because, you know, you have to be circumcised. Oh, that rings a bell too, doesn't it? With reference to what Paul was facing in the early church, you know, by the Judaizers. It's not about forming, forming new laws. Now, why might we fast? Why might we not drink alcohol at certain times? Why might we do this? It has to do with Christian freedom. And also, love for, for neighbor, too. You know, depending on circumstances of the life. So, yeah. Okay, can you elaborate just a little bit on this retain the sins of any? Yeah, that, that uh, essentially means not to forgive. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, so uh, you know this, this would uh, include, of course, uh, and and really refers to those who are unrepentant, what we call impenitent sinners. So someone is living in a sin, and um, you know, let's say, uh, you know, just for the sake of example, um, one is committing adultery. 
So they're having sex with someone who is not their spouse. And they're confronted, and, well, I'm going to do this anyway. That's impenitence. Or another, I, I used this just recently, but, uh, you know, just by way of example, you know, the homosexual who just comes out of the closet says, you know, I don't care what God says anymore. I, I'm, I'm done with fighting this. I'm just going to give in and go do what I want because that's better for me. Um, and, and, you know, it's, you know, those are sexual sins, certainly, but someone who, who knows that something is stealing or something is wrong, but they do it willfully and intentionally and continue to do so. Yeah. I can remember way back, maybe before my kids were born in the 70s, or, or maybe just about AIDS and how we all had to be and wash our hands and all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. And now people are openly gay. Mm -hmm. Do they not have the venereal disease and stuff that they? Oh, no, they do. You just don't. Guess, want, we just don't, don't hear about, about it. They don't want you to know but they still have it. Hey, is it still a well, thing? Well, don't we need to be careful when we're around Should be. all these governors and everybody that shouldn't we be careful? <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. 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 But they make it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is one too, like, uh, you know, someone had commented that, like, in, in um, you know, thankfully, and, and we can commend them for this, I, I think that, uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, there, there are bishops who are taking a stand against those who are pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. In their policies, and uh, you know we we can we can affirm them. You know we don't necessarily agree with everything they say, of course, right? But we can say, yeah, life is life is a gift from God, and it's not for us to take or to allow others to take. Yeah. I know that catechetically and catechesis uh, yeah. when this comes up, you know, about abs confession, absolution, forgiveness, right. and yeah. retaining sins. Mm -hmm. Generally, you know, we do refer to 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul speaks of a man who's living with his stepmother or whatever. Yeah. You know, it sounds like a Jerry Springer kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. And, and Paul just doesn't hold, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you have to discipline this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no question about it. In fact, he says, at a distance, I have judged him. You know, and one of the mantras of the world, the only Bible passage pagans quote back at us is, judge not lest you be judged. Well, In other words, shut up. The church <laughs> needs to be quiet. Well, they will also say God is love, too. But, no, yeah. but you know, it's they want the church to just shut up and go away. But the right. church is obligated. It's not an option. Right. And I had one pastor once say, when the church ceases, we'll see how you feel about this. If the church ceases doing church discipline, it ceases being the church. You're trying to bait me, aren't you? <laughs> but I, I, I think, uh, yeah, maybe, should I be a politician about it? Say, well, you know. Um, but I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it, I, I, I know that uh, there are some fellowships that take that position, that, that uh you know, a Christian church is one that, that disciplines. You know, but, but you know, in, in other words, they, they say this is the third mark of the church. You know, that's another way of stating that. The third mark of the church, they'll say, is discipline. I mean, Paul talks about if an elder steps out of line, right. you better take care of that. Right, right. Admonish him. Yeah. And I, I've told the Board of Elders yeah. for 22 years, if I step out of line, you guys got to come see me. Yeah. 
you know, because they're pastors that, you know, we're human, we can stumble too. Yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. But, uh, you know, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll retreat to uh, the, the, the Lutheran theologians of the past that said there's there's two marks of the church. Yeah. Right? right. The word and the sacraments. Where those are, there you have the church. But, and where those are, yes, you will have discipline. But too. discipline falls under the word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A law and gospel. Yeah. Right? You know, it, it, it's you know, it kind of is is it, it reminds me of the the uh, the discussion about good works, you know, faith and good works. You know, um, it's the faith that produces the good works. If there's no faith, there aren't going to be any good works either. You know, so again, you know, from James chapter two, faith without works is dead. Many will, and the Catholics oftentimes and others will say, "Aha, we got you right there," right? Um, but but is he talking about? You know, is he talking about the origination of faith being the works, or mm -hmm. the origination of the works, works yeah. being the faith? What is the what is the issue? The issue is one of faith, not works. I've sometimes said faith justifies us before God. Mm -hmm. Works justifies us before men. Yeah. Yeah. When we were doing interviews with pastors, when we were trying to call a pastor, and we gave them the opportunity to ask us questions. Mm -hmm. There was more than one, not probably two, but more than one who wanted to know if we practiced church discipline and to give him an example of what was what had happened. Yeah. Okay. So they're interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it is uh, it, it it is it does require our attention, you know, as a congregation. Um, you know, and, and because, because it does have to do with the law and the gospel. It has to do with, the, you know, as, as Paul states in Acts, you know, giving the whole counsel of God. You know, and not just what we want to hear. Um, and in fact, um, I'll, I'll leave with this thought, an encouragement to read the, uh, the Augsburg Confession, the Formula of Concord, as you're able. Um, because, uh, I mean, it, what's astounding to me, uh, which, which is very, Distinctive from today's society. Today's society, we want to we want to give the positive only, right? You know, do this, do this, do this. But very rarely we, we say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Um, in the uh, the Augsburg Confession, and in the Formula of Concord, in, in the Lutheran Confessions, uh, there is we believe, teach, and confess. We also condemn and deny. In other words, there's the the, the both sides. You know, and, and you can't you, you can't just preach the gospel, of course, without preaching also the law. And for you elders in town, right, mm -hmm. there there is a proper distinction to be maintained between the law and the gospel. Which comes first, right? The gospel or the law? And that's not a chicken or egg question either.